So uh, on this week's episode, I'm very excited to have uh, Tom from Design Cuts, which is Tom Ross is, you know, what I should really call him, because at some point I think I came across him from Design Cuts, but this guy's destined for much bigger things. And so for me, as a bit of a fan, like I said, I came across Design Cuts and it blew my mind. And I'm always very keen to share the quality of the bundles they put in. But as I dug a little bit deeper and I discovered what Tom was about, I came across his Honest Designers podcast, which is phenomenal. I really like the way that Tom does his things, being very, very honest and transparent. And that has evolved and I've stayed tuning in and been deeply impressed by his knowledge and his generosity. And now he's doing the Honest Entrepreneur Show, which I caught the first episode of. And and again, this is impressive, but powerful and actually important what Tom's doing. So I thought, well, look, this is a guy that the people in the group, I think, will not only get value from, but they need to be following and also picking the brains of because this guy's successful and he knows what he's doing. And like I said, he's very, very open with his information. So Tom, thank you so much for coming on. My absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on that and humbled by the intro. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, like I'm bordering on fanboy here. I have to say, like I said, because I've been <laughs> tuning in for quite a while, just watching. And it's one of those things that, like I said, it's just, uh, I've, I've kept coming back because you, there's a balance of you're very honest, which is refreshing, but there's quality to what you have to say. And I think that's rare to find, you know, actually whether, you know, because once your honesty, it's not wears off, but like you're kind of, that's what I know I'm going to get from him to keep me wanting to tune in is where I'm going to learn business insights and creative insights. And that was the, the main reason for getting you on, because I think I want to make the group stronger. I want to help as many people as possible. And I really agree with your ethics and how you want to do it. So, yeah, I'm like, it's, a, it's the, the honor is all mine. I'm very happy. Well, I appreciate that. And I can see your intent is really, really good and pure with this. I always say to people, everyone purports to want to help others. And it's like, well, what are you actually doing to help them? So I think what you're doing with your group and with this show is awesome. And a lot of people aren't putting their money where their mouth is or they've got ulterior motives. If you want to help people, just go and help them because you enjoy it, right? Yeah, I think that's the it's that simple. And, mm-hmm. and it's a real battle between, I guess, seeing it's not quite the Ty Lopez's of the world, but it's that, uh, <laughs> that thing of there are people out there who are apparently making six figures, just killing it and crushing it and all this sort of stuff. And there is a temptation of thinking, well, could I be doing more? But the flip side is actually, I think it's quite exciting to be doing it quite altruistically because that's there are less people out there. So that's actually a kind of a silver bullet. And that's exactly what I feel yeah. about you. I've said you before, you know, that you're so transparent. It's very rare. Appreciate that. I think the only downside, if you can call it that, is the work. Everything else mm-hmm. is upside, right? It stands yes. out. It's the right thing to do. It feels good. You get to help people. You're you're being authentic. Like it's just all upside. But yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it this episode. It's definitely work as well. Yeah. So I think that'd be a good place to start. So just for those of you who don't know your origin story, sort of thing, if you could do a brief overview of how you got started, um, and a little bit about design cuts and where you are now. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try and give you the fast forward version because there's been quite a lot over the years. <laughs> Um, but it actually started when I was about 12 years old, my best friend at the time, uh, we used to be quite creative, the pair of us. And this is when the internet was starting to get bigger and he right clicked on a web page and hit view source to show the HTML code. And it blew my mind. It was like the first time I saw the matrix and I was like, what, there's something behind these websites. People build these. And we just started building websites together. So 
I actually learned design and entrepreneurship in some form simultaneously because we just started pushing or we were cranking out these projects as a couple of kids just geeking out over this stuff and learning this stuff and we did all kinds of stuff we did websites I think one of the first ones was called Rater.tv. I don't know if you remember the TV domain extension. Um, oh, yes, we thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we thought we'd start a website to rate TV shows, like the TripAdvisor of TV. And we sort of learned it and built the whole site and then gave up on that idea. And then we had another one where you could like buy domains and then another one where people could upload their faces and buy ad space around that and on and on and on. So there were like dozens of these random little ventures, which are all just, you know, teething problems and learning curves and most didn't really amount to anything but some started to make a bit of money so we'd be at school and be making you know 200 dollars while the two of us were at school and we're 14 years old kind of thing and my mum's at home trying to moderate ad submissions coming in and texting us and it's all like a, a learning journey isn't it and as i say along the, the way i started learning more and more and immersing myself in web design because my friend was the developer i was the web designer so I really started to obsess over what made websites look nice and, and UX and UI design and all that kind of thing. Um, and then that kind of grew into a, a freelance career. And like many freelancers, that's been a path. I, I've detailed that on our Honest Designer Show podcast. Uh, but to kind of give you the footnotes, I started off doing design contests. You know what I mean? Like a fiver and that kind of thing, like, I think. Yeah, 99 design. Like, and exactly. Yeah. So I used a super old school site called Design Outpost. I don't even know if it's around, um, but I kind yeah. of stumbled into this. And I remember I was winning like one out of every 10 and they weren't paying that much. It would be like three or $400 for a, a website design. But as a kid, I was like, this is cool. And I'm kind of, you know, learning the ropes. And it got to a point where I was winning about 50% of the ones that I entered. So again, being quite young at the time, I was like, oh, this is starting to make some some nice pocket money. And I'm mm. starting to hone my skills and learn what the client wants and, you know, all learning curves. And that then turned into a, a freelance career where I primarily did web design and started getting some better clients and referrals. And a lot of that came from trying to help as many people as possible. So I used to be on a forum and I put out a thread saying, post your website and I'll critique it for you. Ended up doing hundreds of critiques on this thread. And that kind of got me some of my bigger clients who just respected what I was doing there, then started telling their friends. And before I knew it, by putting that value in up front, I started actually building a bit of a, a freelance career on the back of things. And that was really enjoyable. Alongside that, I'm still sort of trying out these ventures. I learned more and more about Photoshop and design, started PSD Fan, which is still running, but a little bit... Um, obsolete now not obsolete but you know yeah. what i mean it's kind of died out yeah, in terms yeah. of the content i simply don't have the time and i thought well i'm learning all this stuff so i'm going to start putting out tutorials so i started putting out one tutorial every day which was taking hours and hours oh and God. hours because yeah it was it was intense that was for like the first month or two only um yeah. but, but soon that kind of got a hundred thousand visitors a month and started growing from there and that started to build up and then tried a few more ventures and then finally ended up uh, five and a half years ago launching Design Cuts, which has been like my favorite and biggest and, and most amazing thing that I've been part of. And now we've got this incredible team here. I've got wonderful business partners and co-directors. We've got community of 400,000 designers and they're absolutely awesome. And I realized I've kind of rambled a little bit there, but my point is like, it's been 18 years of incremental 
learning and adjusting and sucking and making mistakes and getting screwed over at points and and picking yourself up and the whole thing has just been an 18 year journey to this point and i feel like i'm still just getting started yes it's kind of that there's that balance of there of constantly sort of um pivoting to a new venture which is part Mm -hmm. of your overall development but it feels like every time i'm just kind of starting again starting again starting again but that, yeah, I think that's kind of um, it. All of that, it's learnable skills that are transferable. So you're going to pick up something from the, something you did three years ago, which now is actually that really helpful because I've learned I, that and I can apply it. I love the hindsight of that because you can never yeah. foresee how it is going to help you. You're exactly right. But all the time, it's like I just recorded a Halloween episode of the Honest Designers podcast, and I wouldn't be able to do that podcast without all the funny, ridiculous client stories from my early stage freelance career where I'm being yeah. micromanaged and all the stuff designers can relate to is because I've been through that part of my career mm. and I've lived it. Now I can actually speak about that publicly. And so even the stuff that sucks at the time or like, you know, I got screwed over in business and that led me to start design cuts. That wouldn't have happened at the time. You think yeah. my life's over, but when you look back, you think, oh, thank goodness it went that way. Yeah. I think that's comes down to like the power of the mentality and perspective, isn't it? It's kind of, um, it's a little bit stoic. It's a little bit sort of the glass half full kind of mentality. But I do think that's massively important. Being able to kind of move on and perhaps see the the positive in like something negative instead of letting it consume you and set you back. Yeah, one hundred percent. So with design cuts as you are at the moment, that's. I mean, I I love that site. Every month I share the bundles. It's kind of. Appreciate I that. just encourage. Well, the thing is, I find that I say to people, you should just be buying it, regardless of even if you don't need what's on offer so like if it might be full of textures and procreate brushes and i'm like well i don't really use procreate but i think that i say to people buy it because in a year's time you'll come back and there'll be something you need and i was doing a a rebranding for a guy and he was looking for like they're very specific like old engravings like vector engravings of things and then i went back and i was like ah there's a retro supply texture screen print pack from like three years ago that i bought that is absolutely perfect and he's looking going I love these engravings. Where did you get them? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's that's exactly why I will <laughs> yeah. just keep buying it because it's like an archive you can dip into whenever you've got a project and mm-hmm. you're going to go, oh, that's perfect. I've, I can absolutely use that now. So I do think they they have stopped me buying a lot on Creative Market genuinely because I just think this is going to come out on Design Cuts if I'm patient and it's probably going to be better, you know, so. Well, yeah, it, I, I, no I appreciate story. that. We're not looking to... Um overshadow anyone certainly but um yeah we just want to put out the best value we can i know when we came on the scene i just looked at it and thought people can do better like Mm. they're not working hard enough to bring their audience the best value and the best service and so we just tried to systematically do that where people could have an awesome experience and you know save money get the best quality tools not be lumbered with a load of crap which they've been oversold and yeah like i'm really really thankful for how it's turned out it's funny, I know it's so good because if I see the creative market bundles and I just think this is rubbish, <laughs> go and check out design cuts because it's just, it, it feels like filler. That's the difference. They're kind of, they're filling it with stuff which you don't really need. And it's like, you you rarely get it because it's like there might be one thing in here which I would have maybe bought, but it's a bit cheaper if I buy this whole lot. So I do, yeah, the, yeah. the quality you maintain is, is it, I should let, you know, you know, trust me, it, there's some such, you know, the quality is very high. So I do, I thoroughly encourage people to go and buy the stuff. Well, I think the lesson to be learned there is quality over quantity. That's literally one of our key principles, which I I sound like a broken record always telling the team that, but there's like multiple stages of curation. Everything makes it through. 
Yeah. And I think everyone's so keen just to put out a lot of stuff and it ends up being a sea of rubbish. And mm. for me, that makes no sense. And yeah, not naming like any competitors in particular, but I will often say to our team, they'll propose something and I'll be like, that is the best possible product X competitor could ever be likely to get their hands on. That would be mm. the shining star in their collection. It's not even good enough for the bottom of ours. We're not going to no. sacrifice our integrity for that. We're very nicely nice uh, on the surface and we are inherently nice people. But internally, we're like the X factor or something. We're like, yeah. eh, like not good enough. <laughs> it just gets ruthless. Just like. <laughs> but I think that's important. It's kind of, uh, you have to at a certain point, like it just becomes about standards and not letting them slip. And yeah, I know that feeling. It's massively important and it does set an example. It's uh, the one thing I remember when we had a hotel running, my dad was obsessed with serving like ketchup in glass bottles. Like he was obsessed. I ever yeah. brought in like a plastic bottle or put it in a ramekin, he'd go mad. He'd be like, <laughs> no. He was so obsessed. Like if it gets to like a third full, throw it away. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 because it looks horrible. It's got to be full. And he was obsessed. But if you ever didn't have it, people would go, oh, do you not have, we really like the glass bottle, even though it's more, you know, like, oh my God. People are watching the whole time. <laughs> and it set the standard for the rest of the team to go, well, if he's yeah. that obsessed about that, and that's just a small part of the operation, we all mm -hmm. have to be sort of accountable. So I love that insight of the quality control. Well, you know what's tough, though, is we'll never sacrifice that element of quality control. But when you're mm -hmm. trying to grow a business and you're trying to scale and just operate in the way you should be, uh, which is working smart, you can't do a Steve Jobs and micromanage everything. You can't get mm -hmm. too hung up on every detail as much as you naturally are inclined to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that for me has been a real balancing act where it's like you have to let go to some extent, not with everything, like product quality, no, but certain elements, it's like you have to kind of let it be because if you overdid everything to death, you'd never get anything done at a macro level. No, and I think the people you're uh, delegating to have to have ownership over the project or whatever they're doing. And yeah. it, there's nothing worse than working on something which you think is someone else's. And I know that in the agency, that was always a big problem. If you have an idea, the creative director will take it, twist it and make his own and then take it. And you're like, oh, well, now I'm working on his idea. This wasn't what I wanted. And you're kind of resentful the whole time. So yeah, that's a yeah. Gonna... It's a real challenge and it is not, there's so many principles of entrepreneurship where you hear it and you're like, that's a good idea. And then you go and try and execute on that. And it's really difficult. I get that all the time. Like I often say to my team, I'm going to stop talking now because I want to give ownership over to you. You run with this. Even if every fiber of my being is like, I know it would be perfect that way. And yeah, you have to constantly, I think you need to almost audit yourself constantly, whether you're growing a team or even auditing your own actions, whether that's design, working with clients, growing a, a different kind of creative business. You have to constantly have that self-awareness, right? Front of mind that I am working smart enough. I'm not focusing on dumb things over there. And it's very, very tough. And, and without going to Zen, yeah. I've for a little while to you know, help with stress and stuff, I've been um, meditating and practicing mindfulness and stuff. And that really does help. Mindfulness in general helps put stuff front of mind in business as well. Is that it, really it, that I've, I'm fascinated by this because I've known I should be doing it and people like Tim Ferriss tell me, that it's the thing to do and my wife she's uh she's like buddhist so she will absolutely like meditate and she says you can't meditate you're too hectic you need to do it and yeah. she says it's so important to quieten the mind and i resist it it's like i just 
I can't. So you're, but you're finding a real benefit of this. This is helping. Massively. Yeah. Um, as I said, I think it breeds self-awareness in everything you do, whether you're about to have an argument with your partner and you, you stop and check yourself, obviously it won't work every time, but you know, yeah. certainly you make headway, um, or with your work. Yeah. You just, you're, you're constantly kind of analyzing and yet it doesn't feel overbearing or stressful analyzing. It's more kind of a bit more of a calm, just thinking, oh, yeah, I actually realize what's happening here instead of I just feel helpless and powerless and I'm being like shoved through the hedgerow of entrepreneurship and clinging on for dear life. Yes, I think that's um, someone was asking me the other day, and I do want to sort of get back to the, your community building thing because I've got a few questions on that. But when you were saying about that kind of when you're in it and she was asking how do you balance that thing of when you're working for yourself or you're an entrepreneur or freelancer, it's that well, some days are good. And then other days you just feel like I'm just completely useless or it's not going or I'm helpless. It's that weird perspective shift. Nothing's particularly changed, but your your perspective on the situation has. That lack of self-confidence is quite tricky to manage. I think there's three things I would recommend for that. And through doing our Honest Designer Show uh, design podcast, we hear that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest struggles is people having self-doubt and imposter syndrome and, and questioning themselves and feeling bad and having bad days. So, um, yeah, a few things I do. One would be my mindfulness, because I think that helps on an individual level. If you're on a desert island and had no one to talk to, you would still feel better about yourself. But I think other than that, just uh, have the awareness that everyone goes through this, every human and particularly every creative human. We all have bad days. We all have imposter syndrome, even the people you look up to go through it. And I know when the four of us hosts on our podcast started talking about that, we got so many comments and emails saying, man, like, I thought it was just me. I thought yeah. I was the only one going through this. And to hear that, um, you know, my co-hosts are incredibly talented, some of them fairly big names, much bigger so than I, and our listeners look up to them. So it's like, so this person I kind of idolize a bit, they're going through exactly the same stuff as me. And that's reassuring. And I think that the third thing would be to audit the content which you consume. And this is something yeah. I've really been quite hot on for the last year. It has a profound impact. It's the same way people like young girls used to read glossy magazines when they're growing up and they get terrible body image issues and that kind of thing. The same thing is like that on steroids with social media. So in the creative yeah. space, in the business space, actually pay attention, go through your whole feed one day and think, what messages is this sending me? Is it sending me the message of I'm not good enough because I can't compete with air quality? Is it preaching bad stuff? Or am I starting to listen to and watch and view people who are preaching the good message that we all have ups and downs and that actually we're not perfect. And their show, like Ian Barnard, my co-host, he did a post which did really well because he showed himself making a mistake publicly. Mm. It's the same thing in the beauty sphere, right? When you get the model showing that they've got a bit of acne or cellulite, they're the ones that really over-index this content because everyone wants to relate. Like everyone's sick of the glossy highlight reel of people's lives. So um, I would do those three things. No, that's massive. That's really helpful. Well, she'll be listening, but I'll share that with her as well. So no, I think, um, yeah, that's the value. I know we've, I've interviewed, um, I've had Dustin and and Ian on for this podcast as well. And it, like I said, it's, they're, they're again, remarkably open and they're great people. And like I said, it's really refreshing to hear them talk about. It's often also the, the difficulty is slightly what the person projects onto them as well there is that thing of you know they perceive you in a certain way which you can't help 
but when you're honest you kind of break that down so it's much more realistic yeah radical candid transparency i think should be everyone's brand unless you're a complete yeah. douchebag and you need to hide that in which case you should work on your character but i think yeah. there should be less disconnect and less disparity between what people are perceived as and what they actually are and mm -hmm. i would caveat that by saying it's very hard to do it's like finding your style as a designer finding yeah. your voice is really difficult you put something out and you think i'm just trying to be me i'm trying to be the authentic real me and then you watch it back or you show it to a loved one and they're like yeah that's not quite you and mm -hmm. i don't know why but something's off and it it just takes practice you just got to keep doing it keep putting yourself out there keep putting your work out there and your content out there and over time, it starts to be more you where your best friend can watch it and be like, yep, that's the you that I've known for 10 years. And that's a really good indicator, actually, like you say, running it past the people who really know you. And uh, yeah, that's a really it's, it's a bit like uh, I remember my mate used to pull a weird face in pictures. And I could see him when he was like, <laughs> yeah. if he was looking himself in like in a reflection. Yeah. And he would just pull this odd face and I'd look and go, what are you doing? You yeah, know, that's like, not your face. <laughs> yeah, that's like you're pulling a weird face for the five seconds you catch yourself in the mirror or the reflection yeah. of a window. And then as soon as you stop, you just go back to being normal. It's like, how <laughs> I think you look like. It's very common, right? Like we're either pretending yeah. to be someone else that we look up to. Or I know when I started putting out videos on Instagram, my first one, I sat on my bed for an hour sweating and fretting and being nervous i think i recorded literally 100 takes in an hour and i was like no oh, that's wow. a piece of crap no that's a piece of crap and it wasn't that i was trying to overly curate myself it's because i was so nervous it wasn't me mm. coming out i kept making mistakes and fumbling my words and i thought oh my god how hard is it to do a one minute video this is ridiculous but when you do it every day for a year it's like oh yeah i'm doing my video you don't even think twice you just get it first take put it out there and don't even watch it back and you're like it is what it is it's unfiltered. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it, isn't it? It's kind of repetition, so you get very comfortable. But also, I think it's – I always found it's a balance of I have to care a huge amount and also not have to care at all. So there's this strange weird yeah. – like, I really care what I'm putting out, <laughs> but I also completely just go, well, so what? And just like, like you say, you almost don't even watch it because it's like, well, the intent is right, and that's enough. And I remember there was a guy um, – He's, he's actually, uh, he's called Michael Port and he has, he wrote a book called Book Yourself Solid. I've read it. fantastic. Yeah. I really like that. And he was doing his creative live course and he was showing a story about, he was coaching um, a chef who was going to be on TV, who was really nervous about, like, oh, I just want to be good. I want to be good. And he remember he just said, look, don't worry about being good. Just be helpful. And the rest of it will take care of itself. And he said that that for him was a real oh, this is easy because if someone's asking me a question about cooking, I can actually give them advice. And immediately yeah. he just relaxed into it because it was his area of expertise. And so I always tell people generally it's the intent and it is that thing of just try and be good, over, sorry, try and be helpful over being good. Yeah. yeah do you need some, are you... I, I think one of the key things is value, right? And again, it's one of those things that's become such a truism. It's like, yeah, you've got to bring value, but that becomes meaningless. Uh, for me, I think the biggest shift is basically flipping it instead of what can your audience do for you it's what can you do for them same thing with clients mm. what can they do for you what can you do for them when you put all the emphasis on what you can do for them it fundamentally changes everything because you start to empathize you think what do they care about what would make them laugh what would make them feel good what would bring them the most value which is why i'm really excited to do the uh bolt on for this with the q a because i love mm. 
directly helping people. It's it's why I've been on podcasts like this. This is cool. This is a real chat. But I've been on some podcasts which they almost forced me to pitch my company for an hour, which I don't want to do because I'm saying to them, well, that's not going to be helpful for your audience. I need yes. to understand like who who's your audience? Are they web designers? Because I'll geek out over that for an hour and give every tip that I've ever learned in that hour. Um, but if you're jumping on thinking, well, I'm going to get some more followers from this and what's in it for me, it's the wrong mindset. You have to shift that. And that's what one of my old business mentors taught me. And it was like bombshell, you know, when it's yeah. something, you know, and it aligns with your values, but it's like, that makes perfect sense. It's like, that's why yeah. these five things I've done in the last four years worked, not because I was following a marketing model, because that's the right way of doing things. Yeah, do you know, I, I agree. And I, I think it's, it's much easier. It's like a bit like when you I was, I did a, I was teaching yesterday in the group talking about narrowing down to like focusing on one particular industry. If you're struggling to make any traction, if you focus on one group of people, it makes everything easier because your messaging becomes very specific and you know exactly who you're talking to. So it gives you a chance to, to build up. Um, so niching, right? I think 99.9% yeah. .9 of people aren't niching enough whether it's business or design. But let's talk about mm -hmm. design for a second because a lot of my followers are also designers and creatives. And I know, is it majority designers for this show? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to, um, It's I guess creatives would be the best thing. I didn't want it to strictly be designers talking about design all the time because it can be a little bit, you get really insular. So yeah. I'm trying to broaden it. So it's generally creative people. So like I said, it's, creative people. Okay. I will get narrower, but it, at the moment it's probably freelance designers would be the majority, but there's a few copywriters, photographers in there as well. Amazing. So um, I'm going to fuse two people in my following for a hypothetical example here, because mm -hmm. I've got one lady, Rachel, who does bespoke hand-lettered gifts. And I've got another lady, Teresa, who uh, she's this cool designer, but she's also a biker and she loves like the motorbiking world. Right. Okay, so, yeah. um, imagine that as a niche for a second, uh, motorcyclists who wanted bespoke gifts, right? That's pretty damn niche, mm. but there's a few elements there as to why niches like that are so incredibly effective. First of all, I think you have to start by defining your ideal customer or client or follower or audience member. And this is something I've talked about recently on, on my content. And we actually did when we started design cuts, we came up with imaginary Timmy. We yeah. drew this little stick man on the board and we broke down like all the stereotypes and everything we knew about designers. And we came up with this real person on the whiteboard. So down to age and what he looked like and his character and all these kind of soft metrics where it's like weird quirks and hobbies that he might have. And does he have a sense of humor and is he empathetic and is he a family man? And then hard metrics like what does he earn and, and what motivates him career wise and on and on and on and it got very very detailed and even stuff like what does he find funny and yeah i had a couple of people when i put this out recently they pushed back and they said isn't that a bit over the top and isn't it a bit arbitrary aren't you just kind of plucking these things out of thin air how does that help anything and i pushed back to them and said well no because it worked for us and here's how so when you bother to do that if you don't do it you don't know who you're targeting you shout out into the dark right so we could have done it and we could have said, we're selling these products. Anyone buy them, please buy them. Like you're not speaking to anyone, but because we had Timmy, everything from our email copywriting to how we did our preview graphics to how we designed our website and the feel of it and, and the core values, which the company were run on 
we knew they'd mm-hmm. all appeal to Timmy, even down to really micro stuff like a social media post or meme which we put out. We designed that because we knew it's something that Timmy would find funny. And so when we did the joke about the mean client, it blew up, as did many of our posts, because our audience resonated with it because they were all similar to Timmy. Yeah. And that's where it gets really, really powerful and really interesting. So if we're going back to the example of the uh, you know bespoke gifts for the motorcyclists, imagine for a second you are on Instagram and you're a creative and you're like, I'm going to sell physical products and gifts. Great. So are uh, 5 million people. Like yes. they're all competing with you. How do you stand out? If suddenly you're the only person or one of two or three or whatever doing bespoke gifts for motorcyclists, okay, that starts to get interesting because now you can target everything at them. And so mm. when someone lands on your Instagram profile, for example, the whole thing just resonates. This is for me. Lands on it and says, hey, I'm a yeah, motorcycling geek too. And every picture is stuff that they care about. And your bio text is stuff they care about. And the descriptions for the post is stuff they care about. And the type it gives you so are stuff they mm. care about. And the language you use, like you can get really, really focused. You can use industry terms, which no one who isn't a motorcyclist would actually have any idea about. You can use little bits of slang and jokes and every industry and subculture has this, right? Whether you're playing Dungeons and Dragons or I don't know, or you're a graphic designer or, or whatever, there's stuff where to everyone else on the planet, it's the geekiest thing in the world and they have no idea what you're talking about. But when you talk that language to the people who know, it hits so much harder and connects so much deeper, and builds real relationships compared to if you were trying to chat to anyone who's gonna buy on the face of the planet. It's really true. My friend was interviewing and in his, he runs a hotel and he deliberately used language that people, he was looking for a marketing manager and he was using terms that were industry terms as a way of filtering out people because he knew if they said, oh, sorry, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. They're gone. So that yeah. was kind of like he, he deliberately set that up. So like <laughs> they knew it. They thought, right, okay, I'm dealing with someone. I'm already a level deeper because they get it. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think a, a big fear within this is people think, am I going too small slash am I excluding 99% of the world and I'm missing out on potential sales? But they're looking at it the wrong way. It's more if you were trying to get 100% of the sales from 100% of the people, you would convert nothing. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're targeting the 1% who actually care and you're speaking their language, you convert 10,000% better than if you're going generic like yeah, it, I think, comes, uh, it comes down to conversions, right? Yeah. I, th- I think it's just mentally it's much easier just when it comes, like you say, because you have an avatar of someone, you can actually create content that resonates and then everything you do compounds itself. So everything within that group, like say if it's the if it's the motorbikers who want gifts, other motorbikers will see the gifts and go, I love that. Where'd you get it from? You know, they're going to yeah. talk about it. They're going to buy it for each other. It's going to build itself. No, it's funny. That's exactly what I was doing. And, I, and I, the conclusion is always it's much better to start narrow if you want to make some impact. Because like you say, otherwise, yeah. if you're selling to everyone, you never. it's all very surface level that everyone ignores you. So you're actually spending money on marketing, which is damaging your brand because you'll just come across as generic. Where actually, yeah. you know, you narrow down your competition. As you say, you eliminate all the competition. And if you're, say, I do branding, then actually web developers, instead of being, you know, the general, I do a bit of everything, now they actually become your ally because you can refer to each other. So actually it helps you even more. So, yeah. 
Yeah, there's so many wins. I mean, I, I don't know how many topics you want to cover today. I am super geeky about this stuff. So if you have two minutes, do you want to just make yeah, yeah, something yeah. up on the spot and we can just give an example? Because I remember I used to learn these principles over the years and I always thought I wish there were more real life examples of how that plays out. Because I'd be like, the theory is good, but I kind of need to see it in action. So do you want to maybe yeah, make no, up a random, a random niche and then we can both spitball? Yeah, why not? I do it like in my strategy sessions. It's exactly this. You break down the psychographics, demographics, needs, and all that of the audience because otherwise, without that, the project doesn't start. There's no point. Cool. So so what's a random niche if you want to pluck it out of thin air? Uh, let's go for um, – well, something which is which I've, which I've is probably – but let's go for so, someone who does uh, – works with, like, cool artisan coffee shops, and they do, like uh, – Oh, nice. Okay. Brand, let, let's say they do – like just branding for artisan coffee shops is a kind of reasonable one. I think people can get their head around. It's quite desirable. And it's kind of, we've mm. all been to cool coffee shops that we think, oh, I'd love to work with something like this. <laughs> 100%. So first of all, it helps if you are the target demo because you know yourself mm-hmm. and therefore you can put that onto people. If you don't and you're not always going to with your clients, I would say start by going to these coffee shops sit in there yeah. and work for a day or a few days and be a fly on the wall, pay attention. What are people, you know, eavesdrop? I know it's kind of cheeky, yeah. but you know, what are they talking about? What, what common traits and stereotypes are starting to build? Um, what talk to the baristas there and, and what terms do they use and, and, you know, do little mini interviews. Do, do you mind if I ask you a few questions to learn more about this? Do the same thing online, like go to coffee snob forum.com and start yeah. paying attention to what are the most popular topics? What do people go nuts over talking about? What, like, again and again and again, what kind of stands out as common themes, right? Yeah, interviewing the audience to actually kind of, it's always, uh, I find questions kind of, um, if there was a service that I could provide that you would really want to pay for that is lacking, what would that be? Or what are your biggest problems? Or have you worked with other, say, people who've done branding who've let you down? Or maybe you wish they'd included something in the service? That's the always good and like you say even going through to their instagram feed and seeing who are they following and then industry magazines talking to the people that run those you know there's all you'll soon see the same names cropping up won't you yeah 100 percent. and unless their marketing department's nailed it which generally they haven't or you're given nothing i think often Mm. the job of a designer or creative kind of fuses with advertising and marketing to some extent anyway and particularly Mm. if you layer that on top i think as a designer, you can start to charge more, stand out more, provide a better service. Like if you're, we, we talked about this a little bit on the Honest Designers show, where it's like method actors. If you become the method actor of the design world, where you go and immerse yourself in the client's world for a week, um, yeah. and then deliver staggeringly better results than your com- competition, that's super interesting, right? Yeah, I think the insight, the, the, the golden, like, so I've done it different ways when you pitch to people. And I think that it always comes back to uh, if you can find a business insight that you can solve, because if like, so for example, I've done it before where I have projected onto them what I think is a need without doing enough research. And then they they go, yeah, it's nice, but we're not ready. And also I've under probably undervalued the amount of, you know, if you're going to do a rebrand, you might say, well, I can do it for argument's sake, for free for my portfolio. But they're going to go, yes, but for me to buy the signage and change everything is going to cost me thousands of pounds. So I'm not going to do that if the need isn't great enough. So I do think you're right. I think almost working for these people, it may be a little bit extreme, but certainly interviewing them, because if you can find that need, then they're going to be completely open because you're clearly solving something and they're going to want to invest in your expertise. And that for me is 
a big component of, of making a successful approach. Yeah, I think it makes you a bad designer. Um, and by the way, sorry if it's showing up on audio, it's a load of rain hitting a big glass window behind me. So, okay. oh, that's so cool, don't worry. Horrible English weather. Um, but yeah, I think it makes you a very poor designer if you don't have the skills of being empathetic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, if like the worst designers for me are the ones that create a beautiful looking design that completely misses the mark with the intended audience because you've been yeah. blinkered, you've got tunnel vision. It's like you spent all this time making it look supposedly nice, but the messaging or even the visuals themselves, they might look nice, but completely not resonate with who they're intended for. And that's your job as a designer. So you might find out actually, you thought the thing these people cared most about was price, but actually they're willing to pay through the nose. And what they care most about is um, drinking the coffee, which no one else has discovered yet. Maybe that's what keeps coming up. So then in all your advertising and your design work, that's what comes to the forefront. We've got this like wild, crazy coffee from the Himalayas with a new region and our Sherpa has been out there for three months and he's stumbled across this gold mine of coffee that's never seen the light of day until now. And that, you know, goes viral on that community and they all rush around and buy it because that's the coolest thing to that community. But no one else who isn't a coffee snob would care and they'd be like, I'm not paying paying that, you know. That's how different it can be. No, but it's that level of insight and I think it's always, like I'm always encouraging people when they show their work to do it more of a case study. So there's some sort of context to what you're doing. Otherwise it's very subjective. And often a good case study will start with, we were approached by a client to solve a business problem. This was the problem. This was the insight. And this is how we solved it effectively. And if you'd like to say it's the, it's the niching thing of, if you do that for one artisan coffee shop, the all the other artisan coffee shop owners who are, cause you're in their industry now, they, when they look at your website and they see that, they're going to go, this is fantastic. This is absolutely. So you, the, and that mm-hmm. I find is the struggle with um, like, I've got a lot. So I'm niching and opening a kind of like hospitality aspect of my branding studio, because that's my background and it makes everything easier because my main offering, I've got random clients. Like I've got people's vote and that March in London, I did all of that. Then I've also got someone like JJ Watt in America, who's an NFL player. And it's kind of, there's no link at all. So anyone who goes there is going to go, it's nice, but how does this help me? Where I think when you niche down, every job just builds, it's the thing of it builds your expertise and your depth of knowledge. And, you know, people pay a lot more for specialists than they do for generalists. Yeah. And I think it's a natural rite of passage and there's nothing wrong with being general. I think you have to. I know I did when I started out because I had to take any work I could get and I got Mm -hmm. underpaid for it. And I took literally any project that came my way and that's fine. But when you have enough experience and clout under your belt, then it's generally a good idea, I believe, to start getting more focused. Um, and then, yeah, maybe you are the artisan coffee designer, or maybe you only design for projects that you're passionate about because it involves activism of some variety mm. or something like that. And not only will that make you more niched in, in attracting those clients and converting them better, but you're going to enjoy it more. That's a tremendous yeah. thing when you get to the point in your career where you can turn clients away who aren't a good fit and you can be selective and every project is a dream project that you're dying to work on and make a difference with. That's kind of the goal, right, if you're a designer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, the sort of uh, special place to be in sort of thing. One thing I did want to talk to you about, which was um, which is, is the, the whole community building thing, because I've been very impressed the way that you've done it. And I noticed because you just launched the Honest Entrepreneurs Show on YouTube, and I was very impressed by, uh, well, a combination of things, how you've put it out and how there is a real strategic element to the way you 
organize your content in a sequence, you've released it. And then the response has been phenomenal. It's the absolute proof in the pudding. It's the, um, the 1,000 true fans principle. And I see a lot of people, uh, and particularly probably me as well, it's, it, there are certain times where you kind of get excited about engaging, but it's very time consuming. And trying to justify taking that time off from paid work or from family is, gets harder and harder. So I wanted to um, just get a little bit of an insight into sort of uh, how you recommend building a community and then just what that really entails. Sure. So I think building a community, first of all, is one of the most essential things you can do if you're trying to build a business or a personal brand or anything like that or establish a following. I think virtually no one is doing this. Everyone is looking for the vanity metrics of, I want to get another thousand followers. I, I enjoy, My biggest dream in life is to 100,000 followers or something. And it's mm. so, so misguided. And I don't blame them. It's because that's what's preached and, you know, we will look up to the big names in our industry and think, well, they've got this many followers. So if I get that, I'm going to be happy. And I'll give you a perfect case study of this. That's what I was taught back in the day. I, I thought you have to get followers, you have to get traffic. That's when you've made it. So my actions then aligned with getting traffic. And like I mentioned earlier, I launched my design blog with tutorials. And I think it was within three months, I was getting 100,000 visitors a month because all my actions were predicated on getting that traffic. Mm. But you know what happened? It grew and grew and grew. And I think at one point I was getting 200,000 visitors a month and none of them cared. I think there were yeah. literally about three of them that bothered to comment and email with me and bought whatever I put out, the whole thousand truth fans. And yeah, I had some members around that and some advertising and it kind of paid my way through college a bit. But ultimately I didn't really have any kind of tribe or community. I had, a couple of people who I would have called a community. And because I'd been preached, you've got to focus on the traffic, you've got to focus on these big metrics and numbers, I wasn't paying as much attention to those two people as I should have. One of them is this really sweet American lady called Sue. And she has been like my biggest advocate through the years. Like anything I put out, including design cuts, she jumped straight in there, like all the social media pages, like report everything, comment all the time, buy everything dream community member, dream customer. And it took me so many years to realize, oh, the way to be successful is to have a thousand Sues, like you say, a yeah. thousand true fans. And when that really, really clicks, again, it's one of those truisms that you kind of hear and then dismiss. When that really clicks and you start to make that the number one priority, things start to get very interesting. So that's what we did with Design Cuts, where I one by one at the early days, especially built relationships with people. And so my answer for how to build a community is always one by one. I'm obsessing mm -hmm. over this right now, especially with my new business show, because I believe everyone is just shouting out into the void, I'm calling it. I see it all the time. That like so many people keep <laughs> DMing me on Instagram and saying, why aren't I growing? Like, why aren't I getting more engagement? And then I see what they're doing and they're just shouting out to their yeah. followers slash a wider audience, they think using hashtags and just expecting people to come flocking. And they've never had a single one-on-one -on -one conversation with any of their following. They don't know their followers no. as people. They just know them as a number. I've got 716 followers and, you know, I'm going to be happy once it reaches a thousand. No, you won't. You're going to feel even worse because suddenly you're going to have 25% more followers and the same shitty engagement. Yeah. And it, this is, gonna... it's just, sorry, I had to cut, but this yeah. is really funny. I, I saw a, a friend of mine was talking about followers 
And I had the same thing with Instagram. I built my following up, but I was kind of like really aggressively doing it. So I was, you know, really uh, just lots of like very involved, like lots of following and then liking and then do But it was very much like I was chasing the vanity metrics. Like you said, there was this point of I was doing what I'd been told would grow your following. And what they don't tell you is when your following grows massive, it makes no difference because the engagement is so crap and it actually counts against you. And my friend yeah, was like, oh, it does. you know, I see you've got loads of followers and every time I look at your posts, you're getting like a thousand likes and I, I'm getting nowhere. And I go, well, I know you're lying because you're not looking at my posts because I don't, I went through a stage of, I said, I'll be lucky to get like a couple of hundred likes. And the mm -hmm. answer is because I don't engage properly with my audience. I built it up. I totally miscommunicated who my audience was. It was sometimes freelancers, sometimes clients. And I was too obsessed with building the numbers and also engaging, but I didn't do it properly. And when you yeah. go, this is taking me hours, I'm not getting anything from it, so I'm just going to wind back and just focus on working. And you drop off the radar and nobody cares. Instagram punishes you. And now you're like, I've got this following, but it means nothing. So this yeah. is why I love your approach of like, actually, and I can name, like you said, the same people are always there, so supportive. And that's the way it should be. And I, when I was doing the Q&A, the same people asked the questions. And those are the people I was very fond of. And I, I was on it. I was so close to getting it right. And I just was like, oh, I haven't got time. I just totally stopped. Okay. Yeah, but because the industry preaches you, that's not the way. This is the way. Yeah. And it's complete. The way is the funnel system where it's like a factory yeah. farm and you just push people through it and it's crap. So, um, yeah, like here, how's this for some radical honesty? I believe we did an okay job with the uh, design cuts Instagram, but we did a lot of stuff wrong. So our old social media manager did stuff like contests to attract new followers and all that kind of stuff. So it inflates your follower account. It looks really nice. We got like 17 or 18,000 followers on there now, but my personal Instagram with 1300 followers is getting like 40 more times the engagement yep. than we are there. It has like way more clout and it's a fraction of the size. And I see that mm -hmm. over and over again. Design Cuts, we built an engaged community. We had competitors who were 10 times bigger than us and we were getting way more sales than they were. Like we looked like David, they were Goliath and we were secretly killing them when it actually came down to, you know, the business side of it. Like mm -hmm. over and over again, like my old blog had the big audience, really wasn't converting and no one cared. And so on the business side and being successful, it works. On the personal side, it also works because there's nothing more depressing than having a big following and none of them give a shit about you. Whereas yeah. when you've got a small following and they're super close knit and they're really, really vocal, like my current one is, thankfully. And like it's the best feeling in the world. Like it's it's like being a small band that have a really diehard following. Yeah. Who, who just go around and support everything you're doing. It's the coolest feeling in the world. And that's what I would advocate everyone pushes um, and I'll, I'll get to like the nitty gritty in a second of how um, yeah. I that should be done. But I'm just trying to really, this is one of my big goals with my content is to try and sell people on this principle of actually it, it does work. It can work and it's where your focus should be going more. And like the, the figures are just insane. I mean, literally I could get more sales from 10 people than I could from 200,000. This is not Which like is crazy which is I, sorry i was going to say the people i, I always explain this in a firm like if we were owning a shop and you had a thousand people come through the doors and you sold 10 items and then you on another shop you have 10 people come through the door and you send 10 items which one is better they're both the same but you at least you know the people who are buying in the second shop all they've got to do is grow more customers and they'll grow more sales it's just 
it's the same thing. You still sold 10 items, but you yeah. wasted all your time trying to attract those thousand people to your shop who don't care. Yeah, like here's a radical statement. I could not care less if I lost 90% of my followers and the remaining ones were the ones who engaged. If mm -hmm. I, and it, it might seem ridiculous to people that I'm even preaching this stuff, that like he's only got 1,300 followers. Like, it's, it's, the followers will come. I believe they will. I believe in the future I will get the 100K and all that, but I just don't care. Like, I just launched mm. my new show, and instead of getting an uplift, I think I lost four followers. I don't care. I barely look at it. Like, but my, my new show, and I, I don't want to sound arrogant with this. I, I'm just trying to demonstrate a point, but you said with the comments, it's got 70-odd comments. Yeah, phenomenal like, engagement. Like, it's like ridiculous. When I, like, on episode one of a new show, it's got 70 comments. I go on some YouTubers that I aspire to be like and they've got a quarter of a million followers and they're getting 60 comments on each video and yeah. that's considered good engagement like that is how dramatic it can be in terms of this depth of engagement like it, it's yeah it's it's hard to put into words until you've seen it but like that it's phenomenal uh, genuinely like it's that thing of to show that like you say you're following and the level of engagement and the supportiveness it's it just it's very impressive you know, it's that thing of I can see they really care in a way that, you know, like that loyalty. We learned that in the hotel business, that word of mouth and that repeat business. And it is like it's, it's the Pareto principle. It's 80-20. I just need the 20 percent. And that, mm -hmm. that's fine. As long as I have them, I'm still doing fine. Yeah. Although for me, because this is not a business, this is like my digital playground. Right. So this mm -hmm. is me testing all of these theories um, and then documenting the results. So I, I believe in this stuff so hard. So I'm doing it publicly and then I'm telling people exactly how I'm doing it um, yeah. so that they can follow along. And I've said like this could fail horribly. My theories could fall apart at the seams, but I'm going to adjust and I'm going to keep doing it. And, and thankfully so far it seems to be working out. But you yeah. mentioned Pareto's principle, 80-20. I'm more like 99.9 .9 and then 0.1. That's how extreme it is. I don't yeah. think you should be focusing on the 20. I think you should be focusing on a few. And then the great thing is because they're so engaged, that's how you start to get growth on the back of it in the long term. They tell their friends, you start to build up a reputation and a brand and it starts to spread. And I'm, I'm starting to feel that to some extent already, but I do predict it's going to continue to grow. And to give you an example of how this looks, like I can, it's now starting to get more and more strangers commenting, which is awesome. But at the same time, a lot of the people commenting, I'm like, oh, she commented because two months ago, this is a real example, someone was having a crisis with their business. And I was like, let's video chat because I've been there. So it was the evening. I was probably being horribly neglectful to my girlfriend, sorry. Um, but I ended up jumping on a 30 minute chat, talking her down off the ledge of like, it's gonna be okay. Here's how you deal with this supplier issue. Um, just because this stuff pours out of me and it's authentically like what I geek out over. Like I can't say no. If someone mentions I've got a business problem or I'm starting a business, I'm there having coffee with them the next day. Like it's horribly unscalable. I don't, at a certain point I'm going to have to start <laughs> saying no a lot more, which is going to suck, but I cannot help it because I'm such a geek with this stuff. And so like I could have just kept shouting out into the void. Like I said before, I've got a new show, check it out. Like, go do this, like, do that. Like, check out my content. No one would give a shit. But suddenly no. the girl who I pulled her back from the ledge with her business actually has a reason to care. And to her, it's nothing that she leaves a quick comment. 
by way of saying thank you for that. But for me, it's the world and it's so appreciated. And when you get that at scale, and in, in this example, you, you get, you know, 50, 60, 70 people commenting, whatever, like then it really starts to become something. And I've even said to some of my followers, I was like, to you, it might just be a comment. But when that starts to come together, it's like mobilizing an army without sounding too yeah. dramatic. If, no, if I, I can think say, it's huge. It, yeah, I, I really think it is. And I, I, it's really exciting for me because I am going to grow it and it's going to naturally build. And if it's doing what it's doing now, when it will, you know, inevitably get 10 times bigger than it is now, and I'm, I'm going to be even busier, how crazy is that going to be? Because suddenly... I know podcasts that have to work for 12 months to get, you know, 40 reviews or whatever. But suddenly when you've got 300 people and you say, hey, mind leaving a review and you get 300 reviews in the next two hours, like that's crazy. It lets you compete with people at the top of the industry. It lets you compete with the A-listers with the 5 million followers. And you're this small fish they've never heard of. And they just look at it like, how the hell is he doing that? And that's exciting to me. Do you know what's really nice as well is that the fact that if they want to replicate it, that they're going to have to put in the groundwork. There isn't a shortcut here. So it's kind of, I am miles ahead of you because I've been doing this while you haven't been watching for like two, three years. Mm -hmm. And there is very little you can do to build this authentic connection unless you go and apply the principles. And this is why when I got you on, because I've started a separate education Instagram, which I haven't really pushed yet because I'm doing the teaching, but that. I will be following and I'll probably be asking questions because I want to get back to where I was doing the Q&As because I loved it. And it was always, I'll give you a free portfolio review. If you've got any problems, you can message me. I'll, and it is, like you say, I'd rather jump on a quick call than spend mm-hmm. ages messaging. And I loved doing that. I, I, it was good for the soul. It's the reason why I started education back up again because I missed it. But yeah. it will be a new endeavor and I'll be watching and learning. That sounds awesome. But the intent has to be there because you can't mm-hmm. fake it. It's too much work and it's too hard to do it if you don't love it. Yeah, if, if that's no, it, a drag it doesn't make you. sense. No, I love doing it. It's just justifying it to the people around me. It's like, why? what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. You know, but, so, yeah. so there's two elements there, right? One is managing mm-hmm. your expectations and thinking we've only got a certain number of hours in the day. So the more you put in, the more you get out, but you can't put every minute of the day in and that's realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your other business stuff got your family and, and your loved ones and other responsibilities so you have to manage that um so realize your expectations might be up here but actually if you really are honest with yourself you can only hit here and that's still a, a real great respectable goal but it's just you being real the other thing is a common objection to this is well it's unscalable like it's not going to work da, 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 like you know who has time it's like First of all, you're, t- you're talking about scalability, like that's an issue for you now. You're doing yeah. nothing right now. All you're doing is investing your time stalking other people that you're jealous of their following because mm. of those vanity metrics. All your time is just there, like pumping out content to no one. You can't talk to me about scale. When you're doing what I'm doing, then you can come and talk to me about how do I make this more scalable? Because mm. like, if you're having one-on-one chats with dozens of followers every day and you're putting your heart and soul and you're helping them, and you know suddenly you've got more messages coming in than you know what to do with and you don't want to ignore people then come and talk to me about scale and i'll give you some answers but for virtually everyone they're not there because they haven't even got one message coming in they're worrying about a problem that they would love to have yes i know what you mean it's kind of like and if we did scale what they were up to it would be very depressing because it would okay let's scale your ten thousand up to a hundred thousand but your engagement is still 
you've gone from what 10 people to 100 if you're lucky it's so small it actually begins to reflect worse on you because people look at it and go no one cares about this did you buy those followers you're like no 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 i I, you know it's just (laughs) it looks worse yeah and i'm not judging them like it's a it's a valid fear to have but they're thinking um you know currently they're talking to zero people they recognize if they put the work in, they could probably talk to a hundred, but they're worrying about the thousand. And it's like, worry yes. about that later. First of all, get a hundred people to actually care enough to want to talk to you and support your mm. stuff. And when you're there, there is stuff you can do. Like these bigger people, they make it scalable with their content, right? They talk to as many people as they can. And if they get a thousand comments and they respond to a hundred of them, the hundred feel really honored and the 900 see that they're intense there and they're trying, or they put out, a Q&A show or they do live streams and respond to as many people as they can. They put themselves out there, but no one's expecting them to be superhuman or invent a 900 hour day to get it all done. It's just not realistic. And I'm like, I would love to do this full time, but for the record, I'm CEO of my company. I work 12 hours a day. I get eight hours sleep a night. I see a personal trainer three times a week. I have date night once a week in the evening with my girlfriend. Like I'm fitting this in with an hour a day mm-hmm. and this is the kind of results that are coming from it i would love to destroy this and put 12 hours a day into this but i've got yeah. a company to run so yes, you've got a life to lead it, it, yeah. yeah and i've got a life to lead and i'm not some silicon valley guy who's going to work 18 hours a day and not have a girlfriend or friends and, and just do that because i don't yeah. want to do that so for everyone worrying about how impossible it is, it's just focus and discipline. It's fitting that hour in. I used to spend an hour flicking on Instagram, just getting lost mm. in random content, which was being fed to me. And before I know it, an hour has gone like that. Or I could spend an hour doing this and actually building something. Yes, I think like I say, it's, it's being proactive with how you spend your spare time. And if there was a, I mean, I know to, to finish up, what would you say as far as um, any little things that you felt have worked better than others? Or it, like, for example, um, you know, being very visual, vi- you know, answering questions, recording video, what, mm-hmm. what sort of things have you noticed that you, when you've done them, they've actually, actually that's worked quite well. I'm going to push on that and keep going with that. Um, well, I, I think you touched on something interesting there. First of all, with the mindfulness and self-awareness, pay attention to what's working and do more of it. Mm-hmm. I think far yeah. too few people are actually bothering to do that in the first place. But if we're talking engagement, I've got a weekly call to thank some of my most engaged followers for being awesome. So I jump on, and help them all with their business things in a live arena. And it's every Friday evening and we do that for two hours. Like that's quite a big commitment when it's the end of a working week and I'm like, oh man, I need to get home and relax. But I love doing yeah. it. And yeah. that's a really, really big value giver and it's built real relationships and it's, it's a cool thing to do. So you could do that. Another thing which I started doing is message every single one of your followers. You can do it very, very prolifically. I think in 35 minutes, um, I did 60 something. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm sure I could speed up. So half an hour a day, go message 50 to 100 people and say, thanks so much for following my content. Really genuinely appreciate it. Um, I'd love to know, you know, what you're struggling with the most at the minute. I'd love to try mm-hmm. and help you. Um, another thing is respond with videos. When someone DMs you, get on and yes. do a video selfie. I started doing this because um, I knew it would resonate more and be more personal, but also it's quicker than typing for me. I can just yeah. record two videos and rant at them and speed talk rather than my thumbs flying around because I'm not the quickest diaper. So, but everyone's like, oh, wow, I've never got a video chat. Da, da, da. And suddenly they're connecting with a human in a world of, you know, just noise. And 
there's endless tactics and, and hacks, right? But ultimately, it comes down to that one-on-one interaction, putting in the work. Like I say, I jumped on the call yeah. with the girl to help her. It's the whole empathy thing I talked about. How can I help them, not how can they help me? Yeah. No, I think that's, that's huge, isn't it? Like, like here's something that I'm going to do this week, which I need to find some hours for, but I'm going to try and stalk and track down all the people that have bothered to review and comment on my new show. And people get weird when I'm like, how can I help you? They're like, oh, you've already helped enough or like they can't think of anything. So I'm just going to get more offensive with it as in like on the offense, not offending them, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to just think of a way to help them and just do it. So I'm going to direct yeah. message them and be like, look, I know you didn't ask for this, but I really appreciate you um, supporting my new show. So here's a quick tip of how you can improve conversions on your website, or here's something that will help on your website, or here's a tweak you can do on your Instagram, take it or leave it. But there it is. I'm trying to give you some value as a thank you. That's yeah. what I did. No, that's brilliant. Like you say, and, and doing it like just quickly over video. I've done that before when people ask me a question. I would just record the audio or the video because it, it was much quicker and easier. And actually, but let's say the engagement is huge with that, that people really appreciate it. Uh, it's massive. Like I, I was sat on our bed yesterday. My, my girlfriend was like, oh, I didn't realize this is the level that you're getting from people because I, I didn't have headphones in. And I was like, hey, I'm Dan from like the next town over. Can you help me with my, this is a real thing that happened. He's like, can you help me with my tennis coaching business? And then had a girl like, hey, I'm here in Montreal, like just wondered about this. There's these videos from real people asking real questions. It's the freaking coolest thing in the world. I love it. Yeah, no, it sounds like I said it. I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, yeah, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to get on there and get DMing and, <laughs> and build it up. But I like to say it's, it's not. I'm not doing it because I think this is a hack and it will work. It's because I like doing it and it's you know if and it, I don't know. Like I said, it's enjoyable. It's good for the soul. Is the word. Cool. Well, it's um, yeah, highly, highly recommended. And the beauty is, it's the right thing to do, but it also works. And there's nothing Fantastic. wrong with that. If you end up getting an illustrious career on the back of it, good for you. You earned it. There's nothing dark or like seedy about that. No, and it's all it's all there, available for people to see. So, no, Tom, I can't thank you enough for your time and your, your generosity. Um, what we'll do is, I know obviously you're not keen to, you don't want to sell people stuff, but if if they, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll get the Q and A set up for the group and people can ask questions but also if people want to follow you and your journey and, and what you've been doing can you just give them a few things to to go and check out yeah 100 um so my new show just dropped on youtube currently i've set up a url to forward to that so it's tomross.co um okay. we'll just take you through or if you search itunes for uh, the honest entrepreneur show that's the new show if you want to okay. check out my company where you can save on great design products and that kind of thing it's designcuts.com which has pretty awesome community tool too and like a cool forum and stuff and you can hang out and make friends and highly recommended for creatives. And then finally my Instagram's Tom Ross media. And that would be my biggest kind of push here. If, if you made it through this, appreciate your time and attention, first of all, but pop over there and literally DM me and be like, I listened to Thad's podcast and like, I got a question for you and I Perfect. guarantee I will video chat back and be like, here's the answer. Brilliant. No, that's an amazing offer. That's very kind of you. Thank you so Anytime. much. No, thanks so much for having me on. That was my favorite one I've done of these, I think, because we just geeked out hardcore. <laughs> yeah, cool. No, that's no, been really great to have you on. So thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Thank you. See you soon. Extra. Extra. Extra.